What is up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Sean Jones NBA Show. I'm recording this late on Tuesday night as the games are wrapping up here. Uh, We've got about five days left of the regular season before the playing kicks in. Um, And we've got a lot to talk about today. Uh, First, we're going to start off with the Dallas Mavericks and the disaster of a season that they are having, especially over the last month or so. Uh, Then we'll talk about how the top of the Eastern Conference has shaken out uh, post uh, All-Star break. Then we'll move back to the Western Conference to talk about the play-in situation and the massive cluster of teams that are separated by almost nothing, um, despite only having a few games left to go. And then lastly, I will give just a few thoughts on the new CBA that was passed between the league and the Players Association. So starting off with the Dallas Mavericks. So if you go back to not that long ago, February 10th, um, the Mavericks were 31 and 26. They were the four seed in the Western Conference. This was uh, one day after the trade deadline. (laughs) Uh, Since then, they have gone 6-16, and and they are now 11th in the Western Conference standings on the outside looking in of the play-in. Not just the the playoffs, but the play-in. They have a legitimate shot to miss the play-in entirely, and right now that seems like the most likely scenario probably. Um. In that span, they are 25th in defensive rating. However, that is not um, an indictment on how they played in the last month alone as they're actually 23rd uh, in defensive rating on the season as a whole. So marginally worse, but just about the same as they have been. This has been an issue all season long and why I've uh, continually said that they were never a serious contender in my eyes. Um, And to be honest, this has just been a total disaster across the board. Uh, I know it's easy to <laughs> blame Kyrie on this. I mean, if you look at the record, it's it's not good with him. It was better before he got there. but um, and, I, and I'm not saying he's totally blameless in this because he definitely does have defensive effic- uh, deficiencies, and that's their biggest area um, that they've been struggling this season. But he's done about everything you could probably ask him to do at this point. He's played 19 out of 24 games since getting there, which is really one of his more consistent (laughs) streaks of playing in a while. Um, He's averaging 27 a game, uh, six assists, five rebounds, shooting a ridiculous 51% from the field, 30% from three, and 95% from the line. Um, But really, there are a number of people to blame uh, for what's gone on in Dallas this season. Um, I'm going to start off with Jason Kidd. Uh, the idea that Kidd has been a good coach throughout his entire career is honestly a complete fallacy. Um, his first year coaching, if we want to look back, uh, he had a super talented Nets team. He had Joe Johnson, a little bit past his prime, but still a good player. Darren Williams, still in his 20s. He had a 25-year-old prime, Brooke Lopez, um, and then an aging Paul Pierce and Kevin Garnett. Um, And they certainly weren't viewed as championship contenders necessarily, but they definitely had legitimate expectations coming into the year. Um, They actually then only won 44 games, um, and Kidd was kicked to the curb after only one season there. Then he goes to Milwaukee. Um, He spends three and a half years with the Bucs. Um, he has inherits a young Giannis, um, but that, but by the end of his tenure, he's one of the best players in the NBA. He's an all-star, um, maybe not quite as good as he is now, but he's certainly, 
um, close to that MVP level by the time uh, Kidd did leave Milwaukee. But despite that, uh, he had an overall record of 139 and uh, 152. So a sub-500 record. Uh, he was actually fired midseason in his last year. Um, he never won a single playoff series with the Bucks, despite having Giannis in nearly four years. Um, he even missed the playoffs one year. And um, in the first full season without him, uh, with virtually the same team, uh, Bootenholzer took him to 60 wins. Um, and they've been legitimate contenders ever since then, obviously. So I'm not going to say Kid was holding the back. Obviously, Giannis has improved, but he certainly um, left something to be desired with that team, seeming as uh, they've been one of the best teams in the league ever since he left. Now we go to his tenure with the Mavs. He did make the Western Conference Finals last year, so credit to him there, obviously. But they were a 500 team uh, for the first half of last season. Um, and this year they've been one of the biggest disappointments in the NBA. So they really had a, a half-good season, um, got hot in the playoffs last year. Um, but it's not like he's had some great track record as a coach, not only just in Dallas, but across his career. I mean, this is a pretty big sample size of him being um, – an underwhelming coach just performance-wise for his teams. Um, and that's not even to mention stuff um, that he said. He's had some bizarre quotes this year, talking, uh, just saying stuff like, I can't play for the players. Um, there were some weird reports that came out of Milwaukee once he left there um, that were just, <laughs> again, just weird quotes of him saying strange things. So he's got a track record of that uh, as well. But He's not been a good coach throughout his entire career, to say it plainly, and he hasn't been a good coach this season. And um, I don't see any reason why he would <laughs> suddenly become this great coach. Uh, some players just aren't cut out to be good NBA coaches. We saw that uh, firsthand with Steve Nash over this past year, or past few years in Brooklyn before he got fired. So in my eyes, kid has to go. If they miss the plan, he has to go. This is a, a total failure from a – um, a, a coaching staff perspective for them to not even make the play-in, given the talent they have at the top of the roster with Luca and Kyrie. Moving on to the front office. So they might deserve even more blame that, uh, for this failure. Their roster construction has been leg legitimately awful. Um, and that's not only this year, but really <laughs> during Luca's whole tenure. Um, obviously, great work by them to have the wherewithal to uh, trade for Luca, um, but just starting off, I mean, they completely botched the Brunson situation. They could have had him for way cheaper if they had just worked out an extension for him during uh, the season last year. Um, and then the more expensive deal that he did end up getting with the Knicks is now looking like a, a bit of a bargain. Honestly, he's having a phenomenal season. Um, so, I mean, they clearly just completely misevaluated uh, his ceiling as a player, um, and. Look, even if they didn't think he could be what he's being right now, they lost their best non-Luka asset for nothing. I mean, you, that's just – it's bad asset management uh, on top of just bad player evaluation, which are <laughs> really the two major jobs for a front office are evaluating players and, and managing the assets that you do have. Um, so, it, I mean, it was just totally inexcusable uh, the way things have played out with that and how good he's looked uh, for the Knicks this year. Um, and then going back even further, I mean, the, the Porzingis situation, um, it's not like they handled that great either um, on either end of the trade. I mean, when they traded for him initially, they gave up two first-round picks 
uh, one of them which already conveyed, and then one of them that would actually be their pick this year as long as it's not in the top 10, which <laughs> I think everyone thought that was easily going to convey. Um, but now who knows? They might actually fall uh, into the top 10. So they might end up keeping that, but then that is going to extend out to a later year. But um, they also took on some pretty bad contracts from the Knicks in, in that trade. But then when they traded him to Washington, uh, they actually gave up a second-round pick, got no picks in return, um, and all they got back was Dinwiddie, uh, who's a fine uh, six-man, decent role player, um, who they obviously ended up trading, um, and Davis Bertans, who has one of, if not the worst contract in the NBA. So they basically turned two first-round picks into a terrible contract um, and a decent role player. So <laughs> that's not looking great for them either. Um, and then they finally made a decent move in the offseason getting Christian Wood. Um, I don't love Wood as a player. I, I like him. Um, but it, it, was a good, it was a good trade just because they didn't give much up. Um, it was the first time they actually <laughs> managed assets correctly. Um, but then they don't even play him. I mean, Kid can't even find time for him on the court. Um, so that's looking more and more like a questionable move because he's also a free agent at the end of the year. There was rumors they might trade him just because he wasn't playing, and they, it seems like they don't want to resign him. Looks like he's going to walk uh, in the offseason for nothing. Um, and then the JaVale McGee contract was underratedly one of the worst signings in the offseason. I mean, they gave him three guaranteed uh, years, and he's 35. And look, don't get me wrong, he had a good year with the Suns last year, but I mean, I <laughs> I would be shocked if any other team was offering him him a three-year deal he's he's a one-year deal with maybe a, a player team option kind of guy at this point in his career not to mention he didn't even get the vet minimum i think they used the uh one of their exceptions on him so um it's not no money that they're giving him <laughs> um additionally they traded away dorian finney smith uh in the Kyrie trade um he was really their only other decent asset and good like young-ish player outside of josh green but uh, Josh Green hadn't even really gotten the playing time to showcase anything before they traded uh, Finney Smith anyway. So he wasn't a, a huge asset before that. Um, and then if you just look at the best players that he's uh, that Luka has played with other than Kyrie, um, it's obviously Porzingis and Brunson, neither of which have uh, uh, been all-star caliber players. Uh, Brunson probably could have made it this year, but he hasn't made an all-star at this point. Um, and then Porzingis made one back with the Knicks, but uh, he hasn't quite been as good since his uh, early flashes he showed with New York. Um, but they basically lost both those guys for nothing. I mean, Brunson, they did lose for nothing. Porzingis, they got back a bad contract and someone they ended up trading um, anyway. So the two best players they've had, they've lost them for nothing. Um, and then after that, who, who's the best player he's played with? Christian Wood, Tim Hardaway? Dinwiddie, Harrison Barnes. Um, I mean, these are just league average role players. Um, and and Luca's this is his fifth season. Uh, so that's just pretty awful, the fact that um, the two best players you have had around him, you let walk for nothing. And then outside of that, it's been nothing but one-way players that um, <laughs> only have like one thing that they, they really are good at. And then if you look at just this season – I mean, they have zero clearly above-average defensive players, probably outside of Maxi Kleber. Um, but he can't stay healthy this season. They have zero reliable ball handlers outside of Kyrie and Luka, um, which is an issue they had with uh, Dinwiddie on the team as well. And 
an issue that Brunson helped with a ton. Um, they also have no playable big man in a playoff scenario. Dwight Powell got destroyed last year in the playoffs. JaVale McGee was getting played out of the rotation for the Suns last year, too. Um, he's been just not playable all season this year. Um, and then Christian Wood, while he is good offensively, um, he is a total disaster <laughs> on defense. So um, if they lose Kyrie for nothing in the offseason, they're going to still have virtually no flexibility to add more talent because they're losing that asset. They're not going to gain a, a ton of cap space from that. Um, they've got some picks to trade, but um, they still do owe uh, that one pick to the Knicks, so they can't necessarily dump everything they have. So any, any trade of picks they send will have to be a few years out. And honestly, it's going to be a ticking time bomb before Luca wants out. And the pressure is just immensely high right now um, for them to improve this roster uh, as soon as possible and um, find a good coach for this, this team to move forward with as well. And then lastly, um, Luca needs to get a lot of blame for this as well. Look, you are not allowed to be the MVP preseason favorite two years in a row, a perennial all-NBA first-team guy, try to claim stake as a top two to three player in the league, and then miss the play-in. Totally unacceptable. Um, he's 24 years old, which is not one of those like, oh, he's only 21. How can you hold? Like, he, he is old enough to be held accountable for this. Uh, he has way too many accolades to not be held accountable for this. Um, and if you look back at history, um, he is a three-time first-team All-NBA player. Um, he made his last one at the age of 23. So if you look at players in NBA history, in the modern era, that is, um, before the age of 24 to make three first-team All-NBAs or to make three in the first four season, both of which Luka did. There's only three players ever, and that's Tim Duncan, Kevin Durant, and Larry Bird. Uh, and Luka's in his age 24 season. If you want to look at what those guys did in their age 24 season, Duncan had already won a championship. He won 58 games that year, made the Western Conference Finals, and lost to one of arguably the greatest teams of all time, the 2001 Los Angeles Lakers with Prime, uh, Shaq, and Kobe. Then with Durant, he was coming off a Finals appearance from the year before, and he won 60 games that year. They got bounced a little early in the playoffs, but that was... Uh, because they had injuries. Um, I believe that was the year Russell uh, Westbrook was injured, uh, so they ended up losing in the second round. Um, and then Larry Bird, uh, they won 62 games that year, uh, made the NBA Finals. That was just Larry Bird's second NBA season. So Precedent says that these guys should be, this is the prime time to be winning games. I mean, LeBron at this age was also taking a subpar Cavs team to um, – 60 wins, best record, record in the league. So if he, if he wants to have all the accolades of these guys and to be on the level of those guys, we have to hold him to the standard of these guys. Um, and then just moving forward, Lucas style play, I have some real question marks um, about it and if it translates to winning. I mean, his usage rate has been 36% or higher for four years in a row. Um, and it's 37.8% this year. I mean, that is just not sustainable for a, uh, a f four rounds of a uh, playoff run, in my opinion. And to be honest, it's very reminiscent of uh, Houston James Harden to me. 
Um, and that took years to put together sort of the, the perfect roster next to him. Um, that was probably 2018 when they had a second reliable ball handler and Chris Paul, and then just a bunch of shooters that can all defend. Um, and it still wasn't enough. I know Paul was hurt, but uh, they still maybe uh, would not have beaten the, the Warriors that year. So even in a best-case scenario, it wasn't enough. Um, and then they just kept trying to move pieces around to, to make it work after that, and it just wasn't working. And so, um, again, I don't know if the super, super high usage rate guy uh, is translatable to winning in the playoffs. I, I don't know if he needs to change his style or um, they just need better pieces around him or maybe some combination of the both uh, of the two of those. Um, but he also has come into the season out of shape nearly every year of his career. Um, and obviously they've had some huge defensive struggles this year, and he's absolutely uh, a contributor to that. His defensive effort is not always there, um, and he's even been quoted as such this week saying how he needs to improve there, um, saying how he hasn't had a lot of time off, and so it leads to him um, maybe not putting in full effort on that end. But I'm sorry, man. I mean, this is your your legacy on the line. Um you gotta, <laughs> it, you gotta put the work in on that end. You gotta come into the season in shape, um, and if you need to just tweak your style of play uh, to, to help your team win, that's just what you gotta do. Okay, so bopping over to the East now. I just want to talk about the the top of the East. Teams five and below are just not super noteworthy for me at this point in the season. I don't see any of them being able to win a playoff series given who their matchup's likely to be. Um, but since I last uh, recorded, there's been a big switch up. The Celtics really were top of the East for most of the year. So I'm just going to go through the top four and chat through them a little bit, um, how, how I'm, I'm viewing them as we approach the playoffs since there's not a ton of drama into seeding or anything at that point at this point in the season. So starting off with the Cavs, I think they're probably still a year away from making an extended run to like a conference finals or something like that. But I do think they're being majorly slept on. Um, I've seen way too much Knicks uh, love over the past month or so just because they had that one nine-game winning streak. Brunson's been playing really well. Um, but look, let's face it, they don't have a top 20 player. And, and it can be done, but it's really rare and hard to win a playoff series without one. Um, n not even to mention that that Randall is hurt right now, and I'm not convinced he's going to be back for um, the – I mean, he might – He'll probably play at some point in the playoffs, but certainly not by the start of the series. I wouldn't think he'll be ready based on the severity of his injury. And they, they keep throwing out the guys will be reevaluated in two weeks, and people take that at the face value. They'll be back in two weeks, which is obviously not what that means. Um, so, but regardless, I, I would feel this way even if Randall was playing. I don't think, I mean, obviously he would help them, um, and they could be frisky with him, but I, I don't see them beating the Cavs either way. I mean, the Cavaliers, they, they're already at 50 wins. They've been a top four seed all year long. They're the best defense in the NBA. They've been that for the majority of the season as well. They're second in the NBA net rating. They've been top five in net uh, rating all year long. They've been extremely consistent. They have a legit top 20 guy in Donovan Mitchell. Um, they've got two other guys who have made an all-star game in uh, Jared Allen and Darius Garland. Um, Garland especially, who's still super young and only getting better. Um, and then Mobley has been playing great recently. Since January, he's averaging 18 a game, nine rebounds, three assists, and two blocks, shooting uh, 55%. He's been much more of a uh, scoring threat recently, and he's been a total monster on the defensive end. 
Um, and he's gaming, gaining just a, a much higher level of consistency and something that we haven't seen out of him at this point. So um, if he continues to play this way, I think they're going to be uh, a really tough out in the playoffs. Unfortunately, they're probably going to have to play the Bucks in the second round. So I, I do think they're, that'll be when their season ends. But um, I'm not going to lie. I mean, I think that there's a world where I could see them beating Boston or especially uh, Philadelphia. Um, but I do think they'll handle the Knicks pretty easily in um, five or six games or so, and people are going to be kicking themselves uh, that they weren't higher on them. Um, and, I'll, I mean, I'd be shocked if the Knicks won. I think there's a better chance that Cleveland sweeps them um, than the Knicks win. Uh, but, I mean, we'll see. I, I just think that they are um, being underappreciated for how solid of a season that they've had. Um, all things considered, I mean, they didn't even make the playoffs last year, so. So moving up these standings to the 76ers. Uh, so they're, they've really had a tale of two seasons. They started the year 12 and 12, actually. Um, and they have lost five of their last nine, so they're not exactly red hot right now. But they had a stretch from that early December period to mid-March where they went 34 and 8. Um, that was the best easily uh, in the NBA over that span. Um, and that's a 42-game sample, so that's basically half the season right there where they were at 66 win pace, which is um, we haven't seen a team win 66 games since the <laughs> Kevin Durant Warriors. Um, so they were extremely dominant for half the season, basically. Um, and like I said, they've lost five of nine. Uh, they did get a big win tonight versus Boston and beat uh, erupted for 50 points. Um, but even including that, they've gone 40 and 16 uh, since early December, which is second only to the Bucks, who are 42 and 16. So, really, you could say they have the same record. The Bucks just have played two more games in that span. Um, but back to Embiid, I mean, he's just been on another level uh, this year. He's the MVP, in my opinion. Um, coming into uh, Tuesday night, he was averaging 33, 10, and 4. Uh, on 54% from the field, but those numbers are definitely up after his performance uh, tonight. Uh, he's got a career high in points and field goal percentage, career highs across the board with his PER, true shooting percentage, um, on pace for high in offensive win shares and total win shares, uh, box plus minus, offensive rating, everything across the board, career highs. So um, he's been phenomenal. He was it, just ridiculous tonight, and he can <laughs> – I mean, I think on any given night he can be just like the most dominant-looking player on a given night. Um, but then moving down the team, I mean, Ro uh, Harden is underratedly having a very good year. He has a legitimate shot to make All-NBA. I think, I think I might have him on there. I'll have to do my um, – look at it a little bit more when I do those picks. But um, he's averaging 21, 11, and 6, leading this uh, league in assists. Uh, shooting 44% from the field, 39% from three, 87% uh, from the line. So pretty on par with his career efficiencies, but obviously in a, a smaller a scoring role with his assists uh, being higher. Um, but he really starting to look comfortable in this offense. Um, and the rest of the guys have uh, had pretty solid seasons around those two as well. Maxi, he's had gone a little bit back and forth between starting some games, coming off the bench. Um, he's been starting more recently, but... Uh, he's up to 21 points per game, and he's been shooting the lights out. I mean, 48% uh, from the field, 42% from three, um, and then 85% from the line. So he's been a super efficient scorer for them. Um, I know Tobias Harris is obviously overpaid, uh, but he's been flirting with the 50-40-90 uh, season this year. So he's a really efficient role player, especially as a fourth option. Um, and then the rest of their guys, um, 
D'Anthony Melton, Shake Milton, George Niang. They're all having solid years. McDaniels has been pretty good since they picked him up. Uh, P.J. Tucker's offensive volume is ridiculously low, but his percentages are actually pretty good, and I think he's one of those guys that's going to be more important uh, once the playoffs come around. Um, but this, honestly, is the best version of the Sixers uh, that we've seen in the Embiid era since uh, the Jimmy Butler team back in 2019. However, with all that being said, I still have major uh, <laughs> concerns about Embiid, Harden, and Doc Rivers when, uh, come playoff time. It's not anything specifically with the team that I'm like seeing when I watch them, but I'm just terrified by the collective playoff resume. I mean, if you just look at the in the Embiid era, um, they've never beaten a legitimately good team <laughs> in the playoffs. Um, if you go back to 2018, which was the first time they actually made the playoffs uh, with Embiid, that year, the first round, they beat a 44-win Heat team um, with Goran Dragic as their best player. Uh, their next three leading scorers were Dion Waiters, Hassan <laughs> Whiteside, and Josh Richardson. Um, <laughs> not exactly a uh, juggernaut of a team. Um, and then the next round, they lost to the Celtics, which seems fine on paper. But um, to give context, they had no Gordon Hayward, uh, no Kyrie Irving. Um, and this was only Tatum's rookie year. So he was 19 years old. Uh, Brown was still 21 uh, in his third year. Um, and Or sorry, in his second year. And he uh was this was really his first year even somewhat in the rotation so this was not uh, the the Celtics team you're accustomed to uh they were starting Terry Rozier um Al Horford was probably their best player at the time um in 2019 then uh they beat a 42 and 40 win Nets team that was the D'Angelo Russell um all-star year which obviously as his career has played out we know he is not really a all-star caliber player despite making the team that year um, and really, that was just a team full of uh, role players. Um, then the next round, they lose to the Raptors. No shame there. They won the championship. That was a extremely good Raptors team. Kawhi Leonard was playing the best basketball of his career, uh, specifically in that series. So they get no knock on that one. But they still didn't beat anybody good, necessarily. Um, and then 2020, uh, they ended up playing the Celtics first round. And... Uh, I think they got swept in that series. There was no Ben Simmons, uh, but so getting swept first round is just—it's not a good look um, if you're if you've got someone on the level of Embiid, even without Simmons. Um, then moving to 2021, they beat a 34 and 38 Wizards team, so they were four games below 500 with a passes prime Russell Westbrook and uh, Bradley Beal. Um, and then the next round, they played the Hawks who obviously Trey Young had a great series, but their second best player was either John Collins, Clint Capella, or Kevin Herter. Uh, <laughs> not exactly a stacked team either. Uh, really, they had no business losing that series. That was quite a collapse, and a lot of that does fall on Simmons, but regardless, uh, not a good track record. Uh, continuing here, <laughs> going back to last year, 2022, uh, they did beat the Raptors first round, who a respectable team. They did win 48 uh, games last season, but... I feel like they kind of overachieved last year. I mean, this is basically the same team that they've had this year. Um, same roster, same coach, same everything. Um, they even have some decent additions this year with guys like Pirtle. Um, but they've really just been an inconsistent mess at this point um, this season. I mean, they've been, they were out of the plan for a little bit. They're back in the plan. I think they're the eight seed right now. They're going to end up uh, probably making the playoffs. 
um, as long as they can win one of those play-in games, which I, I think they will. Um, but yeah, like I said, we'll see. Um, they're they're not a great team, and they did beat them, but again, it was uh, not some impressive series uh, win. Then the second round, they lose to the Heat, um, who I I know they were the one seed, and they get a little bit of a pass. I mean, Embiid did miss time in the series. But at the same time, this is basically the exact same Heat team as this year, similar to the Raptors. And they've been in the play-in all year. I mean, they haven't been able to even get to that sixth spot, even with the Nets trading um, Durant and Irving. They still haven't been able to catch them. Still game back right now, I think. And not to mention, I mean, the the Heat, half the rotation is undrafted players um, last year and even more so this year. But um, – the point is, um, I need to see it before I can have any faith in this team. Every team they've beaten is your classic first-round exit team. Just the team that's pretty good, got some guys that could be a good number two, maybe number three on a good team, but not someone who can be your best player. Um, specifically, guys like Siaka and Bradley Beal. Um, those are probably the two best players they've beaten. I mean, I don't even know who the next one would be if you want to say Russell Westbrook had a good year that year, or Goran Dragic, but... Um, they haven't beaten any top 15 guys, maybe even top 20. I mean, it depends how you feel about Siakam. I don't think Beal's on that level. Certainly not <laughs> Dragic or, or Russ. But, yeah, I just need to see it first. Um, I think they've, uh, they're have they looking as good as you could hope, but I'm still just worried when they get into that second round against this, uh, the Celtics most likely. So moving along to the Celtics, um, they've had points this season with <laughs> pretty ridiculous runs. I mean, they started the year 21 and five. Uh, they were then 44 and 17 through late February, uh, but they have not been quite as consistent over the past few months. They are only uh, 10 and eight in their last 18 games um, and only 19 and 13 in their last uh, 32 games. So um it's that not like that's bad necessarily. I mean, the the thirty two game sample is still forty nine win pace, um, which is fine. It's a solid playoff team there still. But in that same sample, just from the perspective, the Bucks have gained eight games on them, um, and that's obviously been a huge turnaround with those teams kind of swapping places over the last uh, few months. Um, but a lot of those struggles have really be, been because of Tatum's inconsistencies. Um, he started off the year insanely well had some cold streaks got hot again but then uh, from early february to mid-march um he had a 20 game sample where he was just not shooting the ball very well he in the in those 20 games he was shooting under 43 percent from the field under 32 percent from three um and he had games of three for 15 five for 15 three for 16 nine for 25 six for 18 12 for 30 8 for 22, 4 for 16, 8 for 20, 4 for 12. And then some of those games from 3, it was 1 for 8, 1 for 9, 0 for 7, 6 for 17, 2 for 10, 0 for 8, 2 for 11. Um, he only had four games in that 20-game span of shooting 50% or better, and he had 10 games of 40% or less. So um, he's he's definitely right to the ship since then. He's been playing much, much better since then. Um, and we all know what he's capable of. I mean, uh, talks uh, early in their season where if he's in the top five range. Um, but I, I just do still get some worries with him about if he's got that level of consistency that the um, the Embiid's, the Jokic's, the Durant's, uh, the Lucas of the world, the Giannis's uh, especially have. Um, those guys, I just... 
they don't have those like 10, 20 game samples of just struggling like that. Um, he, he's still phenomenal, but like I said, I wouldn't read too much into the struggles. Um, they're still top four as a team in both offensive and defensive rating this season. They're still first in net rating. Um, they have a really good deep roster. They're still going to be the two seed and they should be really the favorite in any series. Um, against the team not named Milwaukee um, or maybe Phoenix, depending on how you feel about them, if they're healthy. Um, but I did stumble on a stat that I don't think bodes super well for them. Um, so since 1991, there's only been two total teams that won the championship that did not have a player on the roster that had won an MVP at the time of the championship. So that's 30 out of 32 of the last champions had an MVP on the roster. Um the only two outliers were the 2019 Raptors and the 2004 Pistons. Uh, but you could argue the 19 Raptors really only won because Durant was hurt. I mean, I think everyone knows that if he had been healthy, they would have won. So that would have been 31 and 32. And it kind of feels like the 04 Pistons are an outlier <laughs> for every stat. There's always stats about stuff where it's like, except that 04 Pistons team. So I don't really know what to make of that one, but... Um, but obviously, they're not going to have a player on their team that's won an MVP because Tatum is not going to win it this year. Um, and I, I'm just a big precedent guy when it comes to pre- uh, things like projecting champions and um, other things like that. So I think it does matter. Um, I mean, it, 32 years is over three decades, and um, it's been pretty consistent. So I, I don't know why, when there's a lot of other contenders that do fit that mold, um, I think it's fair to think that you maybe should trust them a little more. Um, and I think the the cold streaks like this from Tatum show why he's he's close. I mean, he's really close to that. He's like that next tier down. Like he's he's on another level from the Jaws and the Bookers of the world, in my opinion. Um, but he's not quite at that Durant, um, Giannis, Luka part of the world. He's sort of that <laughs> almost in a class of his own in that in-between not quite MVP caliber, um, but better than just your your typical perennial All Star. Um, but with that being said, like uh, like I previously mentioned, they should be favored in pretty much any series they play, except for uh, probably the Bucks or uh, maybe a healthy Suns team. Um, but I think I mean some of the major concerns with the Suns are health, so who knows if um, they would even get to that point. So, um, but we I mean we've seen how good <laughs> they can be when they're hot. Uh, with that game against the Bucks last week. I mean, they just completely ran him out of the gym. Um, it's really just about question marks uh, about their consistency game to game from some of, not not only Tatum, but uh, guys like Marcus Smart, um, Derek White, etc. So, Speaking of that game last week, uh, that was against the Bucks, as I mentioned. So the Bucks since January... 23rd are 28 and five in their last 33. So that includes a six game win streak as well. Um, they've just looked phenomenal uh, since, since that uh, win streak. Middleton is starting to look a lot more like himself just since March. Um, and through April, he's been averaging 19 a game, seven assists, five rebounds, shooting 47% from the field, 35% from three, almost 90% from the line. His shooting has improved a ton. Um, they've gotten back on the starting lineup. His playmaking has majorly helped the offense, which actually really struggled at the beginning of the year. Um, and like I said, he's shooting the ball better. Uh, Drew Holiday's had some just really great stretches. Um, we know he's not always super consistent, but 
Um, he's really stepped up in games that they've needed him. When Giannis has missed time this year, he's ever, actually averaging 23 a game, nine assists, five rebounds on uh, above 50%, above 40% from three, um, which are all above his season averages and obviously always maintaining uh, that elite uh, defensive level that we know uh, he plays at. And then maybe the story of their season is the the Brooke Lopez revelation. Um I mean, it's remarkable how he's completely transformed his game. He used to be this back-to-the-basket, big, um, good post player. I mean, he averaged over 20 a game doing that. He's the he's the Brooklyn Nets all-time leading scorer. Um, and that was back when he wasn't shooting threes at all. Um, he only made three threes in his first eight seasons combined. Um, and he was honestly thought of as somewhat of a slow-footed defender, not necessarily a bad defender right then, but not some elite uh, rim protector. Um, but now, I mean, he's a floor spacer. He's 38% from three on almost five attempts per game. He's a uh, one of the most elite rim protectors we have in the league at two and a half blocks. Um, he's an elite big defender in drop coverage as well. Um, I think he's the Vegas leader for defensive player of the le- uh, year right now. Um, and he's really a three and D guy, but in a seven foot body, <laughs> which we don't have many guys like that. Um, I know Jaron Jackson Jr. is another guy like that. I think he's like 6'11", 6'10". But, um, I mean, there's been times where he's one of their best players just in terms of impact on the game. And he's honestly the ideal center, not only for today's game, but specifically as a guy next to Giannis who can space the floor but um, allow him to play a little bit more aggressive on defense as well. Um, but honestly, it's just crazy that he can play the game completely different and somehow he was a 20-point-per-game All-Star at the age of uh, 24, and now he's like in the conversation for all-star again at the age of 34 with a totally different game. Um, but their bench has been playing well too. Um, I think it's the strongest it's been in the Giannis era, really. I mean, they've got Crowder shooting 36% from three, Grayson Allen shooting 40% from three, Ingles at 40% from three, um, Javon Carter 42% from three. They can play small or big with Giannis at the five with four shooters. They can put Lopez in with Giannis, push Middleton to the two with Crowder or Ingles playing the three. Um, and really, the their hot streak has been driven by their offense. So it's been catching up with their defense. Their defense has been elite all year long. They've been top three in defense the entire season. Um, but they were actually 25th uh, in in offense as a team through January. So one of the, the bottom five or six teams in the whole league. But since then, they're actually sixth. Uh, I think a lot of that has to do with Middleton um, kind of getting his footing and especially his uh, facilitation on offense. They've also added Crowder since then and Ingles has gotten healthy. Um, but I've been on the Bucks all year. If you've listened to this, um, even before when this, uh, they were not the uh, one seed, uh, I thought they were the favorite coming into the year. I thought they were the favorite uh, throughout the first part of the year. Um, and I think they're the best team in the league. So um, as I said, I know Boston just destroyed them. Um, and, I don't want to downplay that. It's not nothing. Um, I do think that it, it it shows how comfortable Boston can be with them. Um, I think that my initial thoughts were that Milwaukee could beat them pretty easily. Um, but I think it will be a hard-fought series. I'm going to pick Milwaukee. Would I be shocked if Boston won? No. Um, but I, I'm, I think it will go six or seven. But I, I like Milwaukee's chances this year. Um, it's also the fifth game in seven nights for the Bucks And... Uh, I will say season, season series often don't mean much. The Mavericks actually had lost 11 straight games to the Suns before they came back to beat them in the playoffs last year. <laughs> so playoffs are just a totally different animal um, when you're playing the same team uh, so many days in a row. But 
Um, obviously, the Celtics know that they have as much experience as anybody, so uh, I'm not necessarily concerned for them in terms of that. But um, to me, the Bucks are the best team in the league, and um, yeah, I I've been on them all year. So now I'm going to move back to the West and just talk about the play-in situation. We've got a lot of teams all clustered together. Um, three I'm going to talk the most about here, the Lakers, Warriors, and Clippers. Uh, it looks like those three teams are the, the ones vying for the five and six seed. Could really finish in any order at this point. I know the Clippers and Lakers play this week. Um, the Lakers did win tonight against Utah, and the Warriors did win Um against Oklahoma City uh, with a comeback uh, tonight after being down 10 and a half. Uh, but starting off with the Lakers, so since the trade deadline, they're actually 16 and 7, uh, which is the best record in the West, and only the Bucks have been better in that span. Uh, they're sixth in net rating during that period. Uh, they're first in defensive rating. Um, and then Anthony Davis has been really good in that stretch, averaging 26 and 13 on 57%. The new pieces have looked really good. Vanderbilt, it just is a total difference maker for this team defensively. Um, really the main reason, him and AD, uh, that they've been the best defensive team uh, since the trade deadline. Uh, D'Angelo Russell is just a 10 times better fit than uh, Westbrook. I'm, I'm not a D'Lo guy in general, but I think this role for him is a little better because I think he's just got the ball out of his hands less when you were playing with LeBron James, and I think that bad things happen when he has the ball in his hands too much. Um, but I also think it was addition by subtraction with, with Russ. It was just a terrible fit, obviously. Um, and this has all been even with LeBron missing time. And he's not played great in his return. Um, he's only averaging 23 a game on 48% from the field and then only 24% from three. He's not been shooting the ball well. I know it's only in five games since coming back. But I'm a little concerned he's not fully healthy. I mean, those reports that he uh, were saying he should have had surgery, but he found a really good doctor, the LeBron James of feet. <laughs> um, so I don't know if he's going to be healthy. I feel like he's probably going to need surgery in the offseason. He's just playing through it right now because they're playing well. Um, they are 4-1 and one in those games, but I, I, I just worry how far they can go if he's not going to be full strength. Um, with that said, I do think the Lakers are legitimate threats to really any team in the West. Um, I think they could knock off any of the top teams, um, but I do not trust their health for a deep run. Um, like I said, LeBron already doesn't really seem healthy, and if either him or AD miss any time, they're just immediate non-contenders. Um, and and I just think that they're, <laughs> the hype is way overblown by the general media right now. I mean, I saw people saying that they're the favorites in the West. I've seen multiple people on different networks saying that they should be the favorites, which is just ridiculous. I mean, we weren't even sure if they were going to make the play-in like a month ago and the playoffs like two weeks ago. Um, like, they're a good team. Um, but we, we haven't seen LeBron and AD both healthy for – a month or two span really at like any time since the bubble. I mean, maybe there was a little bit of a stretch in 2021, um, but they missed enough time to slip to the seven seed at the end. Um, and if they want to make a, a late run, like a, a West, even if they just want to make the conference finals, they're going to need those guys to both be healthy for weeks at a time. Um, and we just haven't seen it. So I, I don't know if we can just assume that could happen. Like I said, I think they could beat anybody in a given series in the West, but can they beat three straight really good teams? Probably not. Um, with that said, I do think it's pretty remarkable what they've been able to do. I mean, they did start the year two and ten. They were really in that eleven to thirteen seed range for most of the year, uh, but they're peaking at the right time. Credit to 
uh, Palinka for just reconstructing the roster. Credit to Darvin Ham. I mean, they, it, I'm sure it wasn't easy to manage the whole Westbrook situation, and um, he's got this team playing really well. So, like I said, I think they could they could beat most teams, but I don't see the the long term um, success just because health is just too much of a question mark. So, moving to the Warriors. Uh, I mean, they've just been the definition of mediocre this year. They actually started the year 10 and 10, then they were 20 and 20, then they were 30 and 30. Uh, so they actually did break that streak. They will not be 40 and 40. <laughs> uh, but they are 15th in net rating, so literally right in the middle. Um, they haven't been more than four games above 500 all year long, which is pretty crazy. Um, they've been way worse than normal defensively. They're 19th in defensive rating. They're typically one of the better defensive teams, if not one of the best defensive teams uh, throughout the Steph Curry, Draymond, Clay, um, and Steve Kerr era. Um, Jordan Poole has just been really bad this year. He's regressed a ton. Clay uh, had a pretty elongated hot streak, but he has been pretty inconsistent again over the last few weeks after that. Draymond is just a shell of himself uh, this season. And then they can have games where Steph is near perfect and they still lose, which is very concerning, obviously. But probably most concerning is their uh, home road splits. So they're 30, 33 and 8 at home, I believe, um, <laughs> which is really good. <laughs> um, and they are 9 and 30 um, on the road, which is that's not just lottery team bad. That is like tank for Wembenyama bad that is 19 win pace that would be the second worst record in the NBA right now that would be worse than the uh, Spurs and the Rockets <laughs> um, on the road specifically they have the 28th best defensive rating so third worst they have the 27th best net rating so fourth worst um, only the Pistons Rockets and Spurs are worse those teams have a combined 56 and 181 record which is also um a 19-win pace collectively. Um, just to talk about their defensive struggles on the road, uh, on the road, uh, since the All-Star break, uh, they have given up scores of 124, 113, 137, 131, 134, 127, 133, 108, 125, and 112. That's an average of over 24 uh, points per game. Not going to win many games giving that up on average. They lost the first seven of those, and um, went two and eight overall uh, in those games since the also break, um, and I mean they're not going to have home court advantage in in the playoffs, so they're going to have to win on the road if they want to make any sort of run. Um, I know Andrew Wiggins is reportedly coming back this week. Uh, they he had a press conference today, I believe, with uh, with the team. Um, and with him back, I mean, I can't rule them out as being capable of knocking a team off in a single series. Um, it's similar to the Lakers. I mean, I think they could beat anybody like in the West in a series. But I just don't think they can string together consecutive series um, where they're beating three straight good teams in a row. They've just been too inconsistent. They've been so mediocre. Um, I just don't see how they can make a finals run. Like, could they beat the Suns in the first round? Yeah, I I. I I think it's possible. Could they beat the Nuggets if they played them? I think it's possible. Could they beat the Grizzlies? I might even pick them to beat the Grizzlies if they play them. I definitely would pick them to beat the Kings, I think. Um, but could they beat the Nuggets, Suns, and Grizzlies back to back to back? Like that, I just, I don't know if I see it. Um, 
I we the it would just be totally unprecedented with the lack of consistency plus that road record. I mean, that would be like the single worst road record ever uh, for any team to make any sort of run. It's it's remarkable they're even making the playoffs. Um, but I I do think this is really going to be that first year where their reign is over. Uh, the first time Draymond, Clay, and Steph lose in the West playoffs when healthy, um, so I can stop saying that no one's ever beaten them because uh, I think this is the year. I'm not even sure. I mean, we have no idea who they're even going to play, but um, whether it's first or second round, I think they uh, eventually will lose this season before the conference finals. So now moving to the Clippers, uh, it's really a bummer for them that Paul George is out. I think that that just changes everything. Um, same situation with Julius Randle. I'm skeptical that he'll be back in time for the, the first round. Same thing where they'll reevaluate him, like whatever that means. Um, but if he misses really half the first round series, then I, I think they're just dead in the water. I mean, they would have by far, by far, by far the weakest number two of any team. Uh, I don't know if it's Russ, <laughs> Eric Gordon, Norman Powell. None of these guys can be relied on as number twos. I mean, teams are just going to pack it in on Kawhi, and, and rightfully so. Um, not to mention they don't really have a ton of reliable ball handlers outside maybe Russ, but <laughs> reliable might be a stretch <laughs> depending on what you mean by that with him. Um, but it honestly is a shame because I actually think they were probably the most dangerous dangerous among the play-in little bubble group if PG was healthy. Um, Kawhi has just been absolutely unbelievable this year since the new year turned to 2023. He's averaging 27, 6, and 4 on just absurd efficiency, 53%. 46% from three and 91 from the line. And honestly, the role players are all playing well. I mean, Russ has been better than he was. Gordon uh, and Bones Highland have been playing well. Specifically, Bones has been getting more playing time recently. Uh, Norman Powell is finally back. He came back last week. Uh, Marcus Morris has been out, which honestly could be good for them. <laughs> Addition by subtraction, potentially. Um, they've got Batum starting now, who I think is just a better fit around those guys as more of a just catch-and-shoot guy. Terrence Mann, uh, before they got Russ, he was playing really, really well, but he's still uh, been playing pretty well overall. He's been an uh, important piece for them. Um, and then, honestly, I just think it's a huge X factor having Kawhi and Ty Lu uh, as part of the same unit for a playoff team. I mean, we've seen Kawhi look amazing with other coaches. We've seen Ty Lu look really good with uh, a team without Kawhi uh, two years ago when they made the conference finals um, with just Paul George and, and role players. So... Um, having them both is a scary combination, if you ask me. Um, I think that without Paul George, like I said, they're going to probably lose first round. I mean, I think they could beat the Kings maybe. Um, it would be an interesting series because I think that their defense would overwhelm them a little, but the Kings obviously have just more talent. Um, but if they play like the Suns or the Grizzlies, I'm definitely not going to end up uh, picking the Clippers because I just don't think uh, Paul George will be back. But if he was back... The man, um, they're going to be scary. I, I, as a Suns fan, I, I'd be terrified um, because I, I think that they just match up well with how many uh, guards or sorry wings they can throw out there to uh, throw at different guys. So, but yeah, they, uh, they might be screwed though <laughs> without Paul George. So we'll see. And then just wrapping up the rest of the teams: Pelicans, Wolves, Thunder. I think these three are all just going to end up in the plan. Um, one will obviously make the playoffs, but um, probably the Wolves or Pelicans. I would lean Pelicans. I kind of just like their team more. Um, but I think they're going to get bounced early, uh, just like they did last year. Both these teams were the 7-18, and 18, lost first round. 
Um, the Pelicans have definitely played a lot better recently. They've had a little bit of an easier schedule, but the, I just they have not been able to overcome the loss of Zion. Um, they've really just been uh, treading water since then, um, if not drowning. <laughs> uh, but they've been playing really well defensively, actually, recently. And Brandon Ingram has been really good recently, and he was really good in the playoffs last year. So um, I think that they're like a annoying team to play, but they're ultimately just not going to have the talent to beat the teams at the top. Uh, the Wolves, they had some momentum um, that they've <laughs> got lost to the Blazers. Basically, a G League team was pretty embarrassing, especially after they just lost to the Lakers. So, I don't know. I, I haven't been high on the Wolves all year, really. I picked them to miss the playoffs preseason. Um, and I think Cat coming back, it's just a lot of moving parts. I know that the team's, like, all sick right now. So, I don't know. I think they could make it as the eight seed, but I... I don't see them making much noise uh, come playoff time. And then the Thunder, they're fun. They're frisky. Um, but in a playoff setting, I mean, I think they just don't have the personnel to be good enough to uh, really scare a team. I think they can maybe like win a game. But um, I think any of the top teams they play, they're, they're going to beat them pretty handily just because, I mean, they don't have any really reliable bigs at all. They play too many young guys. Um SGA is obviously really good, and Jalen Williams has been playing phenomenal, and Giddy is a, a super fun player. He's had a good year, but I don't know. I don't know if they have the <laughs> the personnel after those guys. I, I think that they can, in a playoff setting, like I said, it's just a different animal when you're playing the same team five to seven times in a row. So overall, um, in terms of just biggest threats, it really depends on injuries. Like, if the Lakers have an injury, they're going to lose to anyone. If the Clippers don't have Paul George, I think they're going to lose to most teams. If the Warriors don't have Wiggins, I think they're um, – they could maybe still win a series, but they're not going to make any sort of run. I think Clippers with Paul George are probably the scariest among this group. Um, I think in any one given series, the Lakers are scarier than the Warriors, but I think the Warriors probably have a better shot of making some sort of run just because we've seen them do it with this group. Whereas the Lakers is just completely contingent on health, and I just don't think they'll be healthy for three rounds. Um, but overall, I mean, it's a weird year. I mean, these the Clippers, Lakers, Warriors, they're all really good on paper. They've got a ton of talent. The fact that this is going to be 5-6-7 is just brutal for some of the higher teams. I mean, like, congratulations to the Kings. You're going <laughs> to get either LeBron James, Steph Curry, or Kawhi Leonard in round one and probably won't be favorites against any of those teams. So... Um, it's tough, but that's just the kind of season it's been in the West this year. So I just want to wrap up talking about the new CBA that, uh, the league and the player association agreed to just some of the high level stuff that has been put out there. The first one being the 65 game minimum for all major awards, uh, for the individual awards, like MVP defensive player of the year, most improved, uh, et cetera. I think that's a great call. Um, like if you're going to be MVP, you got to play. I, I mean, I would, I would honestly be fine with like raising the number for MVP to like 70 or something. I think that that one, that's probably going to be viewed as too much. Cause then if you get hurt for two weeks, you're basically eliminated. But, um, I think it's totally the right call, but I do think it could get a little messy when it comes to all NBA. Um, just looking at the past few years. So last year, 2022, um, there were four players who wouldn't have played enough to make it. That's LeBron, Steph, KD, and John Morant. And then there was two that actually played exactly 65. So they would have, if they'd missed one more, they wouldn't have gotten in. That would have been Luca and Chris Paul. Um, and then the year before that, there were five that would have missed it with Embiid, Jimmy Butler, Kawhi, LeBron, and Paul George. 
So I just get a little worried. Like, do we really want those guys missing? Do we want LeBron to have not made either of the past two? Do we want KD to not have made it last year? Do we want Steph to not have made it last year or Luka? Um, it just feels like some of these guys, I mean, if they play 63, 64, and we're just giving it just this hard cutoff, um, I, yeah, I just think all NBA is different. Um, it doesn't mean you are like the absolute best beat out everybody at that one thing like the other awards do. Um, I think probably lowering it would have been good, like 55, 60 games would have been sufficient. But Because um, then all those guys I listed, they all would have made it. Um, but that's four to five players. I mean, that's an entire team. That's a third of people who made it who weren't going to be on it. And then then we got to replace those guys. So you're going to have way more guys like an Anthony Edwards making it, for example, like over a Steph Curry, even, though, even if Steph clearly had a better year and his team's better just because he didn't play enough games. So... I'm just worried that uh, like the clear top guys might miss too much um, to make it with the new ruling, uh, despite probably all of us thinking they should make it, even it, um, if they didn't play quite enough um, compared to what the, the standard is. Um, and then just sticking on All-NBA, the position list part of it, I'm definitely cool making this more flexible. We've had a ton of instances in the past where there's – a center who makes it that just doesn't deserve it because uh, <laughs> it's just because he plays center. There's not that many good centers. Um, and then we've also had instances where there's a ton of good guards that miss it because there's too many good guards. Um, however, I do think there could have been a maybe a middle ground um, in between what the old one was and what the new one's going to be, like maybe two backcourt, two front courts, and a wild card for each team. Um, I think that this probably stemmed from the whole Embiid situation where um, – like a guy can't make first team, even though he's deserving just based on position. Um, and then a guy who's had a worse year does make first team because he plays the right position. But that doesn't happen like three times a year. Like the, the reason to expand it like this would be if it happens three, four times a year. It's normally like one time. So if you add in the wild card piece instead, um, it, I think it accomplishes that. Like Embiid would have made first team the last two years. And this year too, him and Jokic can make it. Um but I don't know if I really love like the whole getting rid of everything. Like having five guards on first team might feel kind of weird. Um, but I do like, and I like the idea of like rewarding a guy like Laurie Markkinen, who had a phenomenal year this year, um, and he's a total no brainer given that we need three forwards on each team or two forwards on each team. Um, but he might not make it in a year where positions are meaningless. We probably would throw a guy like Steph over him or. Um, John Morant or Dame Lillard even because him and Dame's teams don't have that different record, but Dame probably had a better statistical year. Um, but I don't know. Overall, I'm mostly fine with it. This is how college does it too for like the All-American teams. It's not position-based. Um, I think this is different from other sports like football, for example, um, because the, the different positions literally do different things, um, whereas like a shooting guard and a power forward are – I mean, they're just playing basketball. They're still shooting the ball. They're both trying to rebound. They're both making passes. So it's not really quite the same as like a, a football argument that, of getting rid of that. Um, but I think they probably could have went with a slightly better option of just more of a hybrid in between what it is and what it will be. Um, and then lastly, I want to touch on the midseason tournament. I think this is a bad idea or not bad idea. I just think it's dumb. Like there's just no reason. Um I know they, I think they do this in some soccer leagues. I'm not a big soccer guy, so I don't really know how that goes, but I just don't really see the appeal. I mean, the, the players are reportedly going to get 500, 500 K if they win. Um, 
But why would that motivate the start? Like, sure, yeah, if you're a 13th man making veteran minimum, that sounds really appealing. But guess what? You're not going to be on the court. So <laughs> you're not going to have any say if the team wins, really. Um, and then a guy like just the top guys in the league, Giannis, LeBron, KD, why do they care? To Like, they've just got so much money that's nothing to them. I mean, these dudes literally will willingly take fines just so they can talk shit to the ref. Um, so I, I don't know. I just don't see how it's going to work. I, I'm glad it's not like in addition to regular season games because like if it was a whole separate thing then really i don't think people will care but because it's basically just like a subset of the regular season that'll take place um we'll see um i just feel like it seems a little unnecessary and like i don't know if it's going to be taken super seriously from the players or the teams without a greater reward but honestly i don't really know what a greater reward would be i don't think like if, if it's draft picks or something like that like the players don't care. They're going to probably like, if you're a free agent after the year, like <laughs> and you might leave, like you might not even want that team to get additional draft picks. Um, and then just the ping, the player, I, I don't know. I think it's just tough giving them like extra wins. It feels unfair. And I don't know. I just, this has been rumored for a while and I've always been kind of against it the whole time. So we will see how it plays out, but I don't know. Not, uh, not for me. I don't think. That's going to do it uh, for this episode of the Sean Jones NBA show. Thank you so much for listening. Um, I know we only have just about five days left in the season, so I'll definitely be doing another um, episode next week once we have a better um, idea of what the playoff picture is going to look like. Um, I'll definitely preview all the playoff series, make my predictions, talk through um, how far I see every team going, um, I'll give a ceiling and floor for each team um, as well as my finals uh, predictions. Um, and I'll likely do uh, all NBA picks, all my awards and whatnot as well. Um, but with that being said, thank you so much for listening and I will chat with you soon.